0: Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Srini Krishnamurthy. Srini is the chief strategy and information officer of FM Global, a nearly 200-year-old commercial property insurance company based in Johnston, Rhode Island, with total premiums of roughly $9.5 billion. Srini has been with the company for about four years, and he's held his current post for more than two and a half. He's a veteran of the financial services industry, having had leadership roles at the likes of T. Rowe Price, Mass Mutual, and the Hartford, among other companies. I look forward to understanding more about the transformation he's leading at this storied organization, as well as his thoughts on a variety of leading trends uh, in technology today. Srini, it's, it's a pleasure to speak with you, and welcome to Technovation.
1: Right, thank you, Peter. It's great to be with you.
0: Wonderful. Well, uh, Srini, let's begin with the company itself. Uh, For those who may be less familiar with it especially, would you mind providing a bit more of an overview of FM Global's business, please? Yeah, sure.
1: Um, uh, For those who are not part of the insurance industry, FM Global is not a household name. Yeah, as you mentioned, we've been around for a while, over 180 years. We are a specialty insurance company, and our specialty is in commercial property insurance. We really focus on one business, and we do that, we believe, really well in the industry. Uh, We are a mutual company, which means uh, we're owned by our clients. And what that translates to is our clients' priorities are our priorities. And uh, what uh, differentiates us from others in the industry is is, is two large factors. One is we don't rely on actuarial data to transfer risk we use uh, uh, an engineering-based approach and we engineer uh, risk and assess risk at every single location we ensure thousands or hundreds of thousands of locations across our clients and we believe uh, we have a a pretty unique perspective into risks not just at an aggregate company level but also at an individual location that location could be a hospital could be a warehouse it could be a manufacturing location and given our uh, engineering expertise, we believe that allows us to bring a really unique perspective uh, to our clients. And secondly, related to that, uh, uh, while most insurance companies transfer risk, take on risk from their clients, we of course do that, but we do a lot more than that. We actually help our clients to reduce the risk. We don't just transfer it and give going back to our engineering DNA and engineering expertise. We bring that expertise to bear to work with our clients to enhance their resilience. Uh, And that could take different forms, giving them recommendations on how to uh, reduce the impact of a potential flood or how do they better prepare to prevent uh, risk from any wildfires or or storms. So that's a kind of a a differentiator for us. Uh, In addition to our model of engineering uh, based, location based insurance company. Our focus on reducing risk and increasing the resilience of our clients, we believe, differentiates us from others in the industry.
0: And so much of what you described there, Srini, I can only ma- imagine is brought to life not only from a, a, a storied history and a, a great amount of of context, understanding, uh, and experience, frankly, but also data. I can only imagine that there are consequential data elements that breathe life into what you've described as well. Is that a, is that a fair assessment?
1: Oh, yeah, I think you hit on it, Peter. I think data, as you can imagine, both from a breadth, uh, which is the hundreds of thousands of uh, locations we insure for our clients and the data we are able to get on each of those locations. And then you take that to our history of being around for as long as we have. That just gives us a lot of uh, access to a lot of data a- and combine that with some of the more unstructured data we have. And collectively, that's a pretty powerful ingredient uh, which shapes How we work with our clients to help them think about reducing their risk and how they can kind of make sure they they stay resilient and uh, so that takes the form of specific recommendations that also takes the form of specific products we offer our clients and as an example we last year we launched a suite of climate uh, risk products which giving our clients a pretty unique insight into not just their exposure to different climate elements, uh, wildfire, hail, flood at, at a given point in time, but also being able to look 30, 40 years from now and based on changes that are happening, how that risk profile might change. And collectively based on all that, what actions they could take today, as well as in the future to lower their risk profile. Um, so so that was a kind of a manifestation of our expertise, our data all coming together into a really tangible offering uh, for our clients. And to make sure uh, we provide clients additional incentive, we offered uh, the first of its kind in the industry, a climate uh, uh, resilience credit, a $300 million fund we uh, provided access to our clients to be able to invest in those actions that uh, we we collectively recommended to our clients, and which we estimate uh, that if when those are invested in those uh, recommendations, collectively, that could lower the risk exposure of our clients by over $100 billion. So it's uh, bringing our data, bringing our expertise, along with our, our financial strength, all of that together to help uh, both our clients at an individual level, but also from a portfolio level, helping with, with risk reduction overall.
0: Just fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing those uh, those examples, as well as the data behind them uh, really makes a powerful case uh, for, for for the offering you've developed. I want to talk a bit about your role, Sreeni, if I may. Uh, you are one of a, a, a growing, but still a pretty small club of people who not only are chief information officers, but also chief strategy officers. And as I mentioned in the introduction, a role you've had for a bit more than uh, half of your time, maybe two-thirds of your time, time nearly, with the organization. And I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that expansion of your responsibilities. I didn't mention in the intro that you uh, began initially as chief information officer alone and expanded to the chief strategy officer a set of responsibilities following that. What, what what was the rationale in the aggrandizement of your role, as well as the logic of combining these two disciplines together, please?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great uh, question, Peter. Uh... I think coming back to our company, uh, the our company's success is driven by expertise and relationships. That's kind of what drives our success: uh, relationships internally with our clients, with uh, stakeholders like brokers, and the expertise we have—the engineering, underwriting, claims. Now, uh, uh, I think give uh, give credit to our executives as uh, uh, clearly. While those are the kind of the bedrock of our success, clearly uh, they recognize that. Technology was going to play an increasingly critical role in the enhancement and in the execution of our business strategy, which is built on those two elements. As a result, uh, they kind of brought uh, those two kind of functions together, and and I think that's uh, that's been uh, and when we kind of did this, there were not a lot of precedents. As you mentioned, it's not a very common role, so it was uh, there were not a lot of precedents we could follow. But kind of two and a half years into the role, uh, I, I think it's just been a, a kind of a great confluence uh, of how those two sides uh, come together. Yeah, and I wanna add a third dimension and I can elaborate to me is change management. And overall, uh, I think this confluence, I kind of think of kind of the work we do and my team does at this kind of a Venn diagram of business strategy, technology and change management. And I think uh, the success we've had, uh, both as a function, but overall as a company is really at the intersection of those three elements. Currently, I I think from a business strategy point of view, uh, going back to your question, I think what that has allowed us to do is have a seat at the table when we are discussing our long-term strategic plan, but also thinking about kind of the business opportunities and priorities. Uh, uh, as I kind of talk with uh, some peers, where these roles are bifurcated, you often I've often found uh, in other places where by the time something the, the the technology organization finds out about a priority, it's often kind of too late, or so often the opportunities that technology can enable and bring forth are often uh, lost. So kind of being being at the table when we're discussing our strategic priorities or long-term strategic plan. And I I wear both hats in those sessions and allowing us to kind of both understand the implications of opportunities for technology, but also bring forth ideas about how technology could help us accelerate some of those opportunities or think about them a bit differently than uh, without that having the meaning. So I think that's been incredibly powerful. Uh, And the third dimension, as I mentioned, uh, one of the capabilities that's part of my team is program and change management. And I think that's been an incredibly powerful leg of this tool, where with the alignment of strategy and technology, it allows us to ensure our technology priorities are aligned and focused on the highest and most important things for the company. Now, the change management, where that helps us, is to make sure we execute on those priorities in a way for maximum impact for our ben- for our company and our clients. Uh, and so, I think uh, to me. Uh, I, I kind of uh, been fortunate enough to kind of sit at the intersection of those three, and I think it has. Uh, I think it has helped uh, us as a company move forward, but also from a department perspective, uh, make made sure we are staying relevant, help and providing the maximum return for the companies, uh, the investment the companies made.
0: Yeah, fascinating, uh, uh, and and I certainly see the logic as you described it as to why. Uh, the company's advantage and having somebody like yourself lead these uh, these disciplines together. And I really like the underscoring of change management as a critical element to ensure that it's, it's operating effectively, uh, that those strategies are, in fact, implemented uh, effectively and aligned, as you pointed out. I, I want to talk a little bit about, if you don't mind, um, the... The methods that you use—you alluded to it a little bit—but I'd love to double-click a little bit further, if you don't mind, Sereni, into um, how you think about strategic planning. Um, it, yours is a, a large-scale organization, as I noted at the outset. Um, you know, c- clearly different business lines and different leaders you would engage with uh, in order to set plans for the organization and so forth. Can you talk a bit about you know how you think about that planning process and 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 how that's put together?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, and, and Peter, we're uh, uh, being a specialty company focused on one business, uh, we're fortunate where we don't have competing priorities, where we don't have a business unit A, which is in a very different industry uh, or, or in a competing in a very different market. And, and we have to make decisions between business A and business B and business C, all of them kind of pulling on same resources and capital for us. Business A and B and C are all the same business. So that way we're fortunate and, and, and it provides a, a very clear alignment. And if you add in also that we're owned by our clients, we also don't have the dichotomy where uh, we don't think about should be focused on shareholder return or client value. For us, it's all the same one and the same thing. So that's really powerful to have that very clear North Star about what are we optimizing, what are we solving for, and what are we building, and allows us to take a really long-term view. So as I mentioned, we've been uh, around 180 years, so we've seen a lot. And a big part of that is we don't get carried away by a quarter or a a temporary fad. Uh, It truly, uh, strategic planning for us is truly long-term strategic planning. Which then comes back. And it's now, it's August. In fact, we're having those conversations right now as we get ready for next year, really thinking about uh, every year uh, in this time of the year, along with our executives, we go through a process of updating our strategic plan, uh, which uh, looks out kind of three, five years. Uh, we update it annually based on what's going on in the environment, where our internal capabilities are and priorities are. So, uh, uh, so this is a kind of almost uh, right now. Uh, in the next few days, we're going to be continuing this conversation with our executives. And, and that forms for a lot of good debate around the different pulls and pushes in terms of where we see opportunities, where, uh, where do we want to place our bets? And once we have the broad contours of the strategic plan uh, aligned, then that really translates to, okay, how does that translate to our more operating objectives in terms of specific initiatives we want to drive over the next 12 to 24 months, uh, which clearly, uh, and those translates to uh, where are we from a particular capability, and I can kind of touch on digital or uh, or climate risk as an example, uh, and, and, and that translates to where are we today and where do we want to invest in the next 12 to 18 months and what value we expect to get. And, and, and how are we going to drive that? What do we need? What does success look like? And then that translates to as we go later into into the year, the resourcing and the financial component tying kind with of, uh, with our budgeting process. So typically, so as we start the process around this kind of late summer, uh, by early winter, we have a pretty robust strategic plan, which kind of is our north star for the next uh, three five years, but also a really clear view of what the key priorities for the next 12 to 18 months are, supported by uh, our budget and our operating measures. Uh, so we're so going to next year with, with a pretty clear sense of direction and momentum.
0: A great articulation of that. And you you called out a couple of components, uh, potentially to linger on uh, longer digital and climate risk as examples. Would love yeah. to understand uh, priorities that you're developing from a strategy perspective uh, for each, you mentioned climate risk a bit in your earlier example of uh, the kinds of use of data and the fact that you can help uh, organizations even decades in advance think about the the risks that may be coming and the steps they might take to mitigate those. Uh, no doubt that's part of the substance of it. But uh, with the combination of digital and climate risk, among others, perhaps you might uh, underscore, would love to hear a little bit more about the substance of the strategy.
1: Yeah, yeah. On the digital side, uh, the uh, we started our digital uh, transformation uh, uh, but just before the pandemic. Really, uh, we, we didn't, uh, like most uh, everybody, we were surprised uh, when the pandemic uh, kind of got us, but we uh, started our uh, digital transformation before the pandemic, recognizing that uh, we got to think about how we uh, as we look forward about how do we really uh, provide our clients with a very comprehensive view of their risks and make sure we're giving them the information when they need it uh, and how they need it. As I mentioned, going back to our, our, our focus on expertise and relationships, we wanted to see how digital capabilities, technology, data can really reinforce and augment our expertise and relationship, not necessarily replace it and really help us strengthen the relationships with our clients and stakeholders. On the expertise front, uh, one of the big areas where our digital efforts have really been helpful is being able to assess risk for locations in a much more efficient way than we could prior. So typically prior to our transformation, uh, we would collect a lot of data on locations we insure, and often it would be our engineers visiting those sites what we would call the boots on the ground model. So they would visit these kayaks and and really collect a lot of the data that we we would need. With our digital transformation using remote aerial imagery, remote sensing, computer vision, we are often able to collect not the full suite, but sufficient enough data on locations, even before we have uh, had a person visit the location. What that means is the scalability Uh, our capability to collect that data is increased exponentially. And also when we do have our experts going into a a particular location, a hospital or warehousing, they already have a certain set of information available with them. So they can spend a lot more time consulting with clients and solutioning versus spend a lot of time collecting data. And, And that's really helped us kind of think about how we scale our engineering model Uh, how we can give our experts, our engineering experts, a fairly full-form set of data, which they can then use to solution and and consult with clients. And not just that, being able to, from a claims perspective, when there is an uh, unfortunate event, our ability to collect data through aerial imagery with even before we put uh, a claims adjuster to go evaluate the damage, they're already equipped with quite a bit of data which again, they're able to go in and very quickly help the clients at a time when clearly, when there is an event, there is a level of distress and being able to go and respond to the client's needs in a much, much faster way. And so that's been a big, big focus uh, of our digital transformation is really around how do we enable and uh, augment uh, the expertise and the data. So our experts and our staff are really able to turbocharge their own productivity and the ability to consult with clients. And I think that's, that's been uh, quite powerful. Uh, I think we've been seeing, unfortunately, the, a lot of the, the natural hazards uh, and, and calamities only continue to increase, whether it's the, the recent uh, wildfire in Hawaii or uh, the, the hurricane in, uh, in, in California, and so we are, are able to leverage our digital capabilities to make sure we're able to respond to our clients when they need it the most.
0: Again, very compelling and interesting examples you provide there, Sreeni. Thank you so much. As yeah. we've uh, spoken about data and its sanctity in a couple of different areas, certainly one of the uh, key advancements of late relative to it has been re- advancements in artificial intelligence, and more specifically, generative artificial intelligence, uh, so-called Gen AI. And yeah. I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about uh, the your own thought process uh, about the use of Gen AI, your own uh, and your team's experimentation with it, and any conclusions. Still, generally speaking, early uh, early innings of the ball game here, but uh, any early conclusions you're drawing as a result of some of those experiments
1: a great point uh, clearly something top of mind for for all of us uh and while gen ai is still very much in i think what is called the hype cycle uh but the use of ai in machine learning is not new to us i mentioned the climate risk products we offer our clients that was all built on ai using artificial intelligence and machine learning on the kind of the data we have so use of ai uh, and bringing kind of the, the value from that to our clients is not new. Curly, Gen AI, uh, I, I think, gives us the opportunity to take it to a whole different level. And we're approaching it with, with a growth mindset. Uh, we're c- conducting a couple of uh, proof of concept to fully understand the actual benefits and the risks before we plunge into it uh, with uh, both feet. We have an internal governance structure that works very well today, but we will likely need to enhance it uh, before we deploy Gen AI at scale. Uh, Just a couple of the use cases we're exploring, uh, I mentioned we're a company driven by expertise. And, And much of that expertise is codified in documents that can be quite complex to navigate and consume for those of our engineers who probably don't have yet that decades of experience or relatively early in their career. And it can be quite challenging to go through all these technically complex documents. So one of the POCs uh, we're doing is to assess how we can use Gen AI to bring that codified knowledge in a simple to use conversational style platform so that the, uh, the, the users are able to access it when they need it the most and not have to kind of learn and, and kind of navigate through all these complex set of documents but make sure it's easily available to them when they need it the most, whether uh, internally or a client side. Uh, It's still very early in the proof of concept, but we're very encouraged by some of the uh, results we have seen. Uh, Another proof of concept is actually within technology in in kind of my own area where we're using, um, uh, specifically in the software development space, Uh, we're doing a POC with uh, GitHub to see, uh, how we can help our software engineers increase the velocity of developing software products so we can increase our overall spread to market and uh, get get our expertise out to clients much faster. Uh, still early days, uh, we're encouraged, but we also recognize uh, there are quite a few risks and uh, we're making sure our governance structures and our policies and practices are at the level we need them for us to fully get the value from Gen AI. Not just now in in the near future, but for a long term now uh, we're we're excited by the the potential
0: opportunities uh, we think it creates very interesting and for good reason, it sounds like um yeah. I wanted to also ask you about the talent element if I could, um so much of what you describe not only in the answer with regards to artificial intelligence, machine learning, generative AI obviously has profound people implications uh Um, both in the development of what you've described and working uh, side-by-side with these elements uh, to to develop better conclusions, better solutions, et cetera. Um, But also, uh, more broadly speaking, uh, the kinds of changes that you have ushered in in modernizing the practices of a storied organization uh, require new sets of skills as time goes on, especially given the pace of change in business today. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you've thought about uh, you know, developing a team and developing the team's skills such that they're prepared for the future of your business as opposed to only the present and the past?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great question, Peter. Clearly, uh, uh, well, I think we're a technology organization. Uh, I think it is really the people which uh, drives its success. And uh, I, I think we really have to think about both uh, a combination of how to be upskill our 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 current, uh, the the people we had as well as attract uh, new talent um, from from outside uh, I'll, I'll be kind of frank and admit uh, given what was going on in the market say uh, uh, even up, up to a few months ago a few years ago it, it had been a challenge as i mentioned at the beginning we're not a household name compared to many other uh, kind of large tech companies it, it had been challenging to get the attention of some of uh, kind of the talent so we've uh, got programs where we've got good relationships where we uh, bring on talent early and develop them but also recognizing we found a few sources where uh, we we took the time to build those relationships with prospects and uh, what we found especially more recently is those have really started to pay back given the the uncertainty in the tech space as different companies have ramped up and ramped down and as people have understood what we're doing, understood uh, who we are as a company, that has been an incredibly compelling value proposition where people appreciate the opportunity to work on cutting edge stuff, whether it's AI, machine learning, cloud technologies in a company which is successful, which is stable uh, and has been around for a long time and will be around for a very long time and really do that in a very collaborative uh, environment and a culture and i think that's been a really powerful mechanism and a secret sauce which has really helped us bring in and retain talent and then internally started a bit with the cloud as when we first started transformation we didn't have a lot of cloud skills and while we needed to bring those in we recognized we just couldn't rely on a handful of people for cloud expertise we needed that skill broad base so we set up an internal cloud academy And uh, we brought in people from outside to help coach and mentor and a fair bit of uh, learning by doing. And in the process internally now, we have an internal cadre of people who are well-versed and now can independently start to lead initiatives that would need the cloud expertise. Uh, poorly as we kind of look at AI, we'll probably kind of do something similar, but complementing external hiring with upgrading and upskilling our people Uh, in just the internal development, whether we do uh, quarterly, we do two days of innovation and education. Uh, And that has really fostered a lot of uh, capabilities and the ability for people to learn from each other, mentor. I don't want to jinx it, but we've had tremendous retention. uh, And and, uh, I hope to keep it that way, where people, once they come in, understand our business model and get to work on some of these really exciting stuff. It's a really compelling value proposition for people, uh, whether they wanna uh, grow a career uh, within the business. We share talent with our, with our business functions often. So we, uh, we have product owners who come from our key functions like underwriting and engineering, where we also have some of our technology people who've got that background, spend a few years in technology and they go back to one of those functions. So we don't just kind of progress talent vertically uh, in technology, which we have done, but also horizontally within technology, but also other parts of the company. And again, going back to uh, the technology being so closely intertwined with the strategy of the company has really helped uh, technology be viewed uh, not just as a back office function, but really a core part of uh, how we deliver our services. Uh, consistent with some of our other core functions. So I think that both from uh, the role it plays, but also having a seat at the table and the perception of technology being a key enabler and differentiator for us has really helped us uh, uh, not just hire the talent, but retain and develop the talent.
0: As we think about talent and and people, uh, opportunities, issues, uh, it also occurs to me you've had an unusual um, career path that has included during your time at T. Rowe Price uh, being general manager of human resources, uh, quite an unusual stop for somebody who's a, a technology and digital leader uh, and somebody who's who's been in and outside of the technology organization of the companies he's been a part of through your uh, your rise as a as an executive. Talk a bit about that stop, if you would. Uh, what led to it? Perhaps advantages you're now accruing from having the insights uh, uh, associated with leading the fun- being a leader in the function as well. Could you could you uh, share some perspectives there, Srini?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Peter. And I think you you're right. I'm not a uh, I, I dabble in technology, but I'm not a pure technologist. I haven't spent all my career in technology. Uh, and uh, but i'm really fortunate to have a really uh, a team of technologists here i can depend on uh, uh, but w- my career is 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 clearly, uh, i'd be lying if i said i expected to be in this role in this uh, industry at this point in time it was uh, a, a, a fortuitous in terms of the roles i took on and what i learned and and going back to in some way where we started one of the things uh, uh, i learned Uh, is really uh, what I call the school of hard knocks in terms of driving change. And you could have the best business case, you could have the best idea. But at the end, if you don't pay sufficient attention to the people and the change uh, management, then uh, the, the success rate is not likely to be that high in terms of no matter how good the idea or how good the business case or how good the technology is. And uh, having kind of been in different roles, where I started my career as a salesperson and, and then worked my way up into strategy consulting and program management, one of the common threads was how uh, the the criticality of change management. And I often didn't get it right. To me, earlier it used to be, we have the best tools, we have the really good business case. Why why isn't this working? And, and then you kind of, as you peel the onion, you recognize some of the things I kind of, i probably not paid enough attention to. So as I was uh, really focused on what are some of the learning opportunities for me, uh, the opportunity in human resources was almost kind of very fortuitous. I was uh, Tito Price and I had the opportunity to work with our head of H- uh, human resources there. Uh, and, and she was fortunate enough to uh, to give me the opportunity to help lead the transformation in HR Uh, mostly from a transformation background, not because I was a human resource professional. But that was just fascinating as I learned about, uh, I got a kind of a more of a bird's eye uh, kind of view into driving change, into kind of the people side of it. And that was a big learning, which now I have brought to my role, going back to my uh, kind of this three-legged stool contract. uh, Because to me, earlier it would be very much about Get the strategy clear, make sure you have a structure and the technology right, and off you go. This third leg of this tool, I spent time in human resources and really learned about how uh, how to galvanize talent, how do you effectively motivate and, and, and kind of lead large-scale change. Uh, that was a kind of a big aha for me and a big learning, which hopefully I brought quite a few of those uh, learnings uh, in, into my current role even though formerly not in human resources anymore. But hopefully some of those learnings are with me and helping helping the company overall, but also helping uh, our, our, our capability move forward.
0: Makes sense. Makes sense. We've talked about a number of relevant trends through our conversation uh, so far, Srini. Uh, any additional trends that excite you as you look to the future that are making their way onto your personal or professional roadmap? Yeah, I, I think
1: uh, there, there is... Uh, I think a couple of things, one of the things we're trying to focus on uh, Peter is uh, is is kind of looking at insure tech. There's been uh, a lot of new developments in the insurance technology based startups. Uh, so we're looking to see how what are some of the expertise we can tap into, especially uh, we, you talked about AI. We don't want to recreate the wheel, an area where we can currently tap into some uh, technologies that were available. So we're exploring uh, what those might be, how do we partner that. that's not that's not something we have done a lot of, so it's a relatively new capability for us. So we don't have to build everything here in Johnston. We're able to tap into a into a global uh, marketplace and and uh, whether it's the kind of the market for talent or for for ideas. So so that's one uh, area we're looking at. Uh, and then the other area is also where, uh, I talked about the specific areas where we're looking at helping our clients with uh, guidance or expertise, but also more broadly, just our employee base. I know there's been a lot of focus on things like client experience, which is extremely important, but one of the areas we're really starting to focus on is employee experience. Similar to kind of the rigor and discipline we bring to uh, enhancing our client experience, really thinking about from an employee journey, what can we do to improve the experience Uh, of our employees, whether it's uh, related to how they get their work done, how they collaborate. Uh, So that's an area, uh, I would say, we've we've been very employee centric as a company, Uh, uh, going back to our model, uh, where we value long-term relationships, both with our clients, but also with our employees. But I'm not sure we had uh, focused as much on employee experience per se, uh, as we did on client experience. So that's a big area we're focused on is how do we make it easy uh, for our employees to access uh, information they need, the to give them the tools, but more critically also being able to collaborate with each other no matter where their colleagues are located. And, and so they have a fulfilling experience as well and can in turn help our clients better. So that's uh, kind of an area where I'm personally very excited about where. You start to see the uh, the impact we can make to our uh, for our colleagues on a day to day basis, and uh, helping them remove grit from their experiences. And I think that's uh, collectively that adds up to a pretty powerful experience.
0: Certainly sounds like it, uh, wow. Sweeney. I also wanted to ask about uh, as you risen through many uh, scaled, storied organizations. Uh, to a variety of roles of consequence, which we've covered uh, a few of them already. Currently, of course, your your substantial role as chief strategy and information officer at FM Global. What have been some of the difference makers along the way for you? What 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 have uh, been some of the key uh, inputs uh, that have allowed you to reach the the heights that you have professionally?
1: Yeah, Peter, I think it's it's a great question, and I think it's it's evolved as uh, I, I've kind of progressed in my career. Uh, I, I kind of, as I started at the the bottom of the food chain, a lot of it was problem solving. Uh, clearly, making sure uh, uh, we're, we're kind of taking a holistic view of problem solving, uh, making sure we have good facts supporting uh, ideas and recommendations, and 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 building uh, a kind of a level of confidence uh, in 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 the recommendations based on data and based on uh, the analysis done. Now. Not to say that's not important, uh, it absolutely is, but that's, to me, as I progress, I found that is necessary, but not sufficient. And some of these more, uh, and what I would consider the, the, the art, I mean, if I think of problem solving and the analysis as the science, the art aspects of uh, kind of driving change or influencing, I would say is increasingly uh, become more important. And that kind of big part of that is influencing and driving alignment a big part of what I try to do, um, I don't always get it right, is to really uh, have, whether it's my peers or executives, making sure we're aligned on whether it's a direction or something, an issue being discussed, making sure there is a level of clarity. And and that to me takes both art and science. It's, It's not just a one dimensional approach to solving it. And so that's an area where I believe Uh, Like I said, I learned it from the school of art knocks. It's not something I woke up one day and realized I have to do it. Uh, When I constantly stubbed my toe uh, and and I recognized and I I got feedback on where things were missing, it was often this art side of it. And so that's an area where uh, I I've put a lot of, quite a bit of focus. And I also recognize to me, there's no ceiling in it. You can never be too good at it. And that's an area where, Uh, continues to play dividends, but also I think it has allowed me to build a broad-based perspective. Uh, Again, going back to this role of intersection of technology and strategy, where leveraging the relationships and being able to kind of connect the dots more broadly, I think has allowed at least me to think about not just what's coming now, what are we doing, but what does it look like three, four years, five years from now? And I think that's been a valuable skill. I'm still getting better at it. Uh, But I I think that to me, especially as people progress in their careers, whether it's horizontally or vertically, I think that capability and that skill, I find, uh, really becomes critical. And that's an area which often differentiates uh, success from, from those who probably haven't had the same level of success
0: really interesting reflections. I appreciate you sharing those, Srini. and and I appreciate the the broader conversation as well. We've covered so many fascinating topics emblematic of the the many priorities that you and your team are driving forward uh, helping this this organization continue to to thrive and transform. I, I appreciate the thoughtful conversation and your time, Srini. Thank you so much.
1: Now, Peter, thank you for the opportunity. you'll be able to share some of the exciting stuff we have underway.